0: Well, I really enjoy Father's Day. I hope that with the virus that you dads can find some fun way to rejoice today and to celebrate uh, Father's Day. It is kind of a strange time, but I know that if we love one another, we find ways to really show our appreciation for our dads. I do enjoy Father's Day and always have, of course, because I'm a father, <laughs> but I do deeply love my children but also because I had an earthly father. His name was Woodrow Wilson, Woodrow Wilson Leek, as my mom would call him, Woody, affectionately. He was a kind man, a southern gentleman, grew up on a farm in the south, was the youngest of eight, had a strong farmer's work ethic, very patient man. He didn't have any uh, areas in which he indulged himself, Um, but he attended a A more liberal church that didn't believe the Bible fully and didn't really understand the gospel and got saved about five years before he uh, died. I actually got to bury him on my 27th birthday. So I lost him earlier than I wanted to, but had him long enough to learn some lessons of patience and kindness from him. I had a good earthly father, he taught me some good lessons. You may not have had a good earthly father. Maybe you did, maybe you didn't. Maybe your remembrance of your father is kind of slim. You don't remember much of him. Maybe you've never even met him before. Maybe you remember him very clearly and you remember how he was hard on you or even abused you. Um, If you did not have a good father, then today's message may be particularly encouraging to you in that we all have a good Father above, and that's what I want to talk about today. If you lost your earthly Father too soon, then uh, the message today also, I think, should be encouraging for you because you have a Father above. Really, it's good news. We sang about it already. I hope you heard it that God is our Father. Jesus came and He taught us that God is our father. We're to view him as our father. We're to call him our father. We're to relate to him as father. We're to understand what he's doing in our life, the way a father would treat his children. That's good news. Our heavenly father is not like our earthly father. He is awesome. Earthly father, not so much. We do the best that we can, but we are not awesome. our Heavenly Father is always faithful. In 1 Corinthians 1, 9, it says, God is faithful through whom you were called into fellowship with his Son. God's faithful to his promises. We go through really hard times and we wonder if the promises of God are true. But God is faithful to all his promises. God, all, God also gives us, some of us at least, the joy of experiencing what he experiences, and that is fatherhood. What is it like to be a father? Well, that's a joy and a privilege that some of us actually get to experience. God gives to some of us children, and if we're a dad, then we are a father, and then we can experience what it means to be a father the same as he is a father. But when God gives us our children, what we need to understand as fathers is they do not belong to us permanently. They are, as you see the title of the message, they are on loan from God. Now, when my children were younger, I would have affirmed that, but maybe I would not have appreciated that as much as I do now. They grow up fast. How many times have you been told that? They grow up fast, but when they grow up, You're still their father as you're living, but you need to remember life in this life moves into life into the next life, and the relationships in the next life are not like this life. We know that Jesus said those that have been married once, twice, three times, four times, the Sadducees in Matthew 22 tried to challenge Jesus about his belief in the resurrection and said, well, you know, whose husband will this wife be if she had more than one husband in this life, and Jesus said, no, you don't understand, it's not that way in the resurrection. The family relationships in the resurrection, Jesus taught, are changed. Our earthly family serves its purpose for a while, but then it changes. Our children are given to us only for a time. We get to experience that fatherhood only for a time, and then it changes. Things move on into the next arrangement, the next life. And God is the father of us all because he created all of us, but he's the father of the redeemed in Jesus Christ particularly. And so we get to call him father twice because he's our creator, but also because he saved us and he is our redeemer. That basic structure never changes. Our homes do. Our homes will grow up, our children will leave the home, My children, for the most part, have. I relate to them now more as brothers and sisters in Christ in that they are mature and they've become our friends because they're believers in Christ. But they're going on to live their own life. They're making their own decisions. They relate to the church directly. And I'm still a dad that's there for them in any way that I can, can give them advice. But but they've grown up. They now, they relate to God the Father On their own. They learn from God the Father directly. And when I uh, reach that point in time, when I pass on, I'll know that they have God as their Father to continue to be there for them and to continue to teach them. We dads need to know that we have only this brief period of time to pour into their lives. There is a real sense in which children are on loan from God. God will always be their Father. And we will not always be there for them. I love Revelation 21.7 because it shows that father-son relationship way into, way beyond this life and into the new heaven and the new earth. It says in Revelation 21.7, he who overcomes, that talks about our faith that overcomes the world. He who overcomes will inherit these things, the things that John saw in his vision and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Father-son relationship with God all the way into heaven. Even the contrast with earthly fathers is brought out in the book of Hebrews in chapter 12 and verse 10. It says, For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them, but God disciplines us for our good so that we may share his holiness. I remember uh, my dad, um, he grew up on the farm, and he said that his father gave him and his brother a whooping almost every day. And um, uh, grandpa didn't always even know what he was giving them a whooping for. He just knew that they must have done something. And so uh, they got a whooping for whatever it was that they did behind his back, and he didn't catch them for it. And dad said, we always deserved it. (laughs) When my dad even walked towards the closet where he had a switch, uh, I would break down. I was the kind that I didn't need to be whooped. Uh, If he just looked at the closet with that look that he had, it was over. I was like, whatever you want me to do, dad, you know, I'm I'm ready to do that. Our earthly fathers try to figure out how to handle each different personality. They do it the best they can. They get it wrong sometimes. We do get it wrong sometimes. We're too hard on them when we're not really perceiving what's in their spirit. We're too soft at other times, allowing bad habits to endure that harm our children. But we do the best we can. By the way, if you're a child or a teen, cut your dad a little bit of slack. They're not perfect. and They never will be. But the good news, again, is we have a perfect Heavenly Father above, right? So today I want us to turn to multiple scriptures and just learn about truths about God the Father that we need to teach to our children so that when we pass out of the way or when they see that we are inadequate, they go on and have a reliance on a greater father. Again, if you did not have a father, if you are mommy trying to do the job of mom and father, all of this can be encouraging because God wants to be in the lives not only of our children, but of us as father. And he's always there for us in a way that we just can't be for our children. I remember uh, just with the floods you read about um, in Virginia. I think it was like Virginia, Southern Virginia and North Carolina. I looked on the news and it said uh, floods possible in Charlotte, North Carolina. Well, I have a daughter down there, so I texted her. Is everything okay? Are you, you know, do you have floods? Well, what am I going to do if there are floods down there? You know, I can't. I can't be there to protect her anymore. It's going to have to be God the Father that is there for her, right? And if your kids leave home, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I've never done this before. I don't know, of over a thousand sermons that I've preached through the years. But I want to dedicate uh, this Father's Day message, if I don't break down. Sorry. To my children, four biological children, and now a little rascal of a grandson, and two sons-in-law, just in case this is my last Father's Day message, I wanted them to hear and all of you to be able to learn. How precious it is to have God as our Heavenly Father. Say amen. Give me a little break here. I need someone else to sing a song right now or something. God is our Father. First, I want us to learn this lesson. Four lessons to learn about God the Father. First, teach our children the perfections of God the Father. The perfections. Many of you have been to a class on God's attributes, and you know that it also is called the attributes of God. I like to call it the perfections of God because they are not just ways of describing God, but ways to see that, wow, as a being goes, God is perfect. We don't think so because we don't like the way our lives are managed sometimes, but the Bible does describe God as a being who is absolutely perfect and righteous in all that he does. So the first thing I want to communicate to my children, and I hope you're communicating to your children, is God is perfect. Lower ourselves. Don't don't try to be something that you're not. All all these men want to be so masculine, they start exaggerating their importance and exaggerating their abilities. Um, Lower your importance and exalt Him, because you don't know when you're going to be taken out of their lives, and they need to learn to trust in God. Now we're going to be bouncing around a number of verses, particularly in the Gospels, so be ready to flip a little bit with me. Turn to the Sermon on the Mount in the Gospel of Matthew, and uh, chapter 5 in Matthew, and verse 48, and we'll read that one first. It says in Matthew 5, 48, in the Sermon on the Mount, Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, Jesus is using this verse to summarize all of the teaching about righteousness that he gave in chapter 5, and believe me, there's a lot in there. If you compare your life with what he writes in Matthew 5, you will see that you are a sinner, and you will understand that. But Jesus says you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect, that term teleoi, means attaining to the very end or having the character that is brought to completion, meaning there's no moral defect in the person. God is absolutely morally perfect. He loves even his enemies. He's righteous in all that he does. Have you ever set a bad example for your children? And then you have to confess that to the kids. It's quite humbling, is it not? But it has to be done. Um, I'm sorry, daddy got angry at mommy and he shouldn't have done that. That was wrong. And I'm going to go talk to God about that now. Fortunately, we can always point to God, the father, and say, but he never confesses sin. He never does wrong. You can always trust what he says. We want our children looking past our imperfections to his absolute perfection. God also says in Leviticus 19, verse two, you shall be holy for I, the Lord your God, am holy. I want you to imitate me. God knows that his character is perfect. Isn't that amazing? He's not only has perfect character, he knows his character is perfect and he knows he's worthy of emulation in all that he does. We fathers learn from the greater father and so should our children. God's perfection is illustrated In the letter of 1 John, would you turn not to the Gospel of John, but towards the back of the New Testament, the 1 John, and there you will see in chapter 1, verse 5, that it says this about God. This is the message we have heard from Him, 1 John, chapter 1, verse 5, and announced to you that God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. That's an emphatic declaration in the Greek. With God, there's not even the slightest amount of darkness that exists. He's pure light. Now, when you hear light in John's writings, as you study it, you'll find out that it means that God is truthful and cannot tell a lie. It also means God is holy and pure. It also means he always does what is right. So it pertains to his loving actions towards others as well. Truthfulness, holiness, and loving is all wrapped up in that image of God being perfect light. Many times our society and the misguided, so-called tolerant church loudly proclaims that God is love, but they have no idea what that even means. They define God's love in a twisted way. They do what it says in Jude verse four, where they take the grace of God, which is an expression of his love, and twist it into an argument to give a license to sin. The way Jude words it is, they, uh, they turn the grace of God into licentiousness. So in other words, they take God's willingness to forgive and his willingness to overlook our defects, his willingness to wipe our slate clean as a go-ahead to practice sinful behavior. That is exactly not why the love of God and the grace of God is given to us. God loves us so much, he tells us, go and sin no more. Because he knows sin is deceptive and sin is destructive. And if you let people practice a sexual deviation, you're not loving them. You're not helping them. You're hurting them. You're deceiving them. And that goes for any other sin. Satan loves to twist the meaning of the Bible, and so do these people in false churches that don't teach the Bible correctly. All who practice sin in the end are warned again and again that if you don't repent of that sin and following Christ, you won't inherit the kingdom of God. You'll never get into the Father's kingdom. All that he had planned to bless creatures, they'll miss out on. In what way could that possibly be love? No, God is love because he cares for even his enemies and warns them. If you don't turn away from your sins, there's not a bright future for you. There's judgment. God is inclusive because he's willing to forgive. All of that's wrapped up in God is light. Light includes love, but more of God's perfections. It includes his hatred for sin and his truthfulness. Every word of the Bible can be trusted. Every word of the Bible can be applied into your life. You can live based upon what you read. You don't need to listen to what you learn in the latest movie. I've been watching too many movies recently and I keep saying how disappointing they are because every message is, it's just the wrong message. It doesn't matter the rating. They just almost always get the wrong message. Like, ah, isn't there something better to watch, you know? And it mostly isn't. Did you know it says in the love chapter in 1 Corinthians 13 that love rejoices with righteousness and truth? Did you know that? That true love is like that. Light encompasses all of these perfections from God. In James, the letter of James, chapter 1, verses 17 and 18, it carries this image of the perfection of God as light. Also, it says, Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down, listen to this description, from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. In other words, the Father's light shines so purely and so constantly and consistently that it never flickers at all like a candlelight would that's not pure. It never varies. His character is always the same. Perfect today, perfect tomorrow. When John the Apostle saw Jesus in glory, one of the descriptions again was that Jesus, who reflects the Father's glory and shines His own divine glory, in Revelation 1 was that his face was so bright, John said it was, like, it was like the sun shining in its strength. Now this is the longest day of the year, I think, right? June 21st, and so I, supposedly if you go out at noonday sometime around this time of the year and you look up at the sun, don't do that because you'll lose your eyeballs. It's so bright you can't look into it. It's the brightest time of the year, or at least where the sky would be very, very clear. The atmosphere maybe would not have as much humidity in it as it has here. It's too bright to look at. That's God. And He He never varies. No it never varies. It's always shining that way. We're told in 1 Peter 2 9 to proclaim the excellencies of God who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. So we have perfect light, we have unchanging light, we have brilliant light, and we have marvelous light, that's God. That's the perfections of God the Father in all of his attributes. I want you to turn now to John chapter one, the gospel of John and chapter one, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and just turn to chapter one in John and go to, this is the prologue in the first chapter, and go to verse 14, one of the most important verses in all the Bible where it talks about how God became a human being. And it says in verse 14, and the word, the eternal word that was there with the Father in the beginning and never had a beginning or end, the word became flesh. That means he became a human being and lived among us. And John writes that we saw his glory. Remember, glory is the shining forth of God's attributes. Glory, what kind of glory? As of the only begotten one from the Father, what is What is the one who is the only begotten from the father? What is he like? He has a glory, he has attributes. So we learn of this invisible, perfect father above by paying attention to the one who became visible and walked among us, and that is Jesus Christ. Being there also in John 1, look at verse 18. Verse 18, just a few verses later. No one has seen God at any time, that is, in his absolute pure essence. No one can see God in his purity of essence. The only begotten one, or the only begotten God, that's Jesus Christ, who is in the bosom of the Father, notice the closeness to the Father, he has explained him. Jesus uniquely reveals the invisible Father to us. Jesus has explained God the Father. Explained is a term for revelation. X. Ex- A geomai, we get our word exegesis from that term. Jesus exegeted the Father. Jesus opened up our understanding of the invisible Father. Jesus explained the perfections of the Father. Other people talk about God in other religions. They mention that God is one or God is all powerful, but people don't know God the way Jesus knows God if you want your children to know God the way He actually is, to learn the heart of God, you have to go to the one who is in the bosom of the Father and knows Him intimately, Jesus Christ. In fact, Jesus, according to Hebrews 1 and verse 3, listen to this, is the radiance of the Father's glory and the exact representation of God's nature. Now that you're in John, go to John chapter 3. In the Gospel of John chapter 3. And verse 35, towards the end of chapter three, it says, "The father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand." That's John 3:35. "The father loves the son and has given all things into his hand. The proof that he loves the son is that he's given everything. The, the proof that the father loves the son is the father gave everything to the son. Jesus later would say, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Who gave it to him? God the Father. In in Psalm 2, we see that God the Father talks to God the Son and says, ask me and I'll give you the entire globe, the entire planet as your possession and you'll rule over all the kings of the earth. He gets that. God the Father in John 17 has chosen many to believe in his Son and he wants to give that as a gift to his Son also. How do we know God the Father is pleased with God the Son? And the answer is because he gives Him everything. In fact, uh, Jesus in John 5 said, the Father's not even going to judge any human being. He's decided to give all of the judgment, that is, all of the judgment, that is, the eternal judgment, to the Son. The Son will be the one who decides who goes to heaven and who gets judged. Jesus Christ will decide that. Jesus even has all life in himself to give others. Being the only begotten son, Jesus can explain the father because he has exactly the same nature as the father. God begets God. He is life from life, light from light. At Jesus's baptism, do you remember what the father said? He didn't say much. But when Jesus came to be baptized, came up out of the water, he just simply said, this is my Beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. There's only one person that God the Father was completely pleased with his life on earth, and that was God the Son. He loves the Son. He trusts the Son. He gives everything to the Son. There's total love and total trust in that. In Ephesians 1, 21 and 22, it says, The Father puts all things under the feet of the Son. And why not? For in John 10:30, Jesus said, I and the Father are one. In John 8:41, Jesus said to the Jewish people, If God were your Father, you would love me, because I proceeded forth and came from the Father. You have to love Christ if God is your Father. In John 10:15, Jesus said, The Father knows me, and I know the Father. And then the clincher, in John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. People try to find another way to get to the Father. There is no other way. We have to learn about God the Father, and we have to teach our children all about the perfections of God the Father. Aaron, the brother of Moses, failed in this task. Do you remember what his sons did? They treated God without holiness in Leviticus chapter 10 and in the first couple of verses of that chapter it says fire came out of the tabernacle and consumed his sons till they died and Aaron kept his mouth closed because he knew that God was right God must be treated with holiness the father is great the father is glorious the father has all life in himself the father is greater than all John 10:29 the father is merciful Luke 6:36 Learn these truths, pass them on to your children. God is so forgiving that when Jesus was being crucified by cruel, ignorant Roman soldiers, Jesus knew the Father well enough that he could pray in front of everybody so they would remember this lesson. Father, what? Forgive them for they know not what they're doing. And he knew God would. He had such confidence in the forgiveness of the Father. Well, there's so many more. We don't have time today. The Son of God has revealed the eternal, unchanging Father to you and me. Be thankful you have those lessons that you've learned. Pass them on to the kids. Who knows how soon they need them? They need them now. But who knows how soon they're going to rely on them more than you realize. Make sure you talk about God the Father through God the Son and what he taught all the time. I love Matthew eleven twenty five, where Jesus prayed, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to babes. We are the babes, by the way. People that do not exalt themselves but humble their mind and their intellect. Don't think that they know everything about life. Don't think that it's up to them, but they just come and believe what Jesus says. The Father reveals these truths to them, and only to them. All right, the second lesson to teach our children is to do the will of the Father. We need to learn the perfections of the Father, but our children need to learn to do the will of the Father. Let's turn back to Matthew chapter 7 and the Sermon on the Mount again, just as a base verse to look at this. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 21 This is at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. And here Jesus has been warning uh, his disciples, you have to enter the kingdom of God by the narrow way and not the broad way that everyone else is following. And he's warning them about false prophets who come and act like they're good shepherds. Uh, And he says, but they don't bear fruit, so you'll know them by their fruit. And then he comes to a third warning, really towards the end of the sermon on the mount Matthew 7:21 and he warns this he says not everyone who says to me lord lord will enter the kingdom of heaven but he who does the will of my father who is in heaven will enter so it's not the ones who simply say they believe in Jesus or even call Jesus lord without much meaning that get into heaven that get into the kingdom of God. Pretty, pretty uh, scary warning, isn't it? For churchgoers that think they got, you know, it's fine. They just called God the Father and just say Jesus is Lord and they think they're, they're okay with God now. No. It's not the one who's prayed the little prayer. You know, sometimes they just pray this little prayer and you'll be saved. Well, if you mean it, yes. If you turn over your life to Christ, if you repent of your sin. It's one that has to ask for forgiveness. Yes, confess Jesus as Lord, that He's the risen Son of God. Yes, you have to believe that. Of course you do. But saying Lord, Lord, anybody can do that. How do you prove it? How do you prove you believe in Jesus as your Lord? And the answer is you get busy doing what? The will of God. That's how God will ultimately judge whether a person is a person of faith in Him or not. How they live, by their deeds. By their deeds, they will be justified. By their deeds, they will be condemned. What does that mean? That we earn our way to heaven by our good deeds? No, but we show that we're believers by our deed. Doing God's will, how do we know that? Listen to the teachings of God's son, Jesus, in the Bible, right? Do the will of God. That's the necessary sign or evidence that you have really believed and God has saved you singing a hymn about Jesus as Lord's not going to do anything for you if you don't get up and show your faith by obeying the word of God. God requires your obedience. He requires the obedience of your children. If your children learn church and they just learn to say all the nice little things about Jesus and God, but you look at their life and they're not consistently living for God, well, then don't count them as saved yet. Keep praying for them and keep showing them their sin. Keep urging their repentance. I know a lot of times parents want to know, well, when do we know when our kids are actually saved? It's kind of hard to know sometimes with children that are brought up in Christian homes. I say never discourage the children from any, any movement they have towards God. If they want to receive Christ because they're afraid of judgment and they're only three years old, then let them pray at 3 years old are they saved then or not i don't know god knows what happens when they're 6 and they say i'm not sure i'm right with god then then uh, just show them the gospel all over again let them let them respond to christ again and if it happens at 9 and 12 then so be it just just uh, encourage every motion of faith towards god that is in the life of your children that's also true if you're teaching in Sunday school or something like that. I used to teach fourth grade um, for many years, and um, kids come in at nine years of age. Some of them are eight, some of them are 10, and they talk about how they received Christ in first grade and then in second grade and then in third grade. And so what I did is instead of just saying, how many of you want to receive Jesus and all, I didn't do that. I started with them and I taught them as fully as I could the gospel. We went over and over and over what it meant thoroughly to be a sinner. I turned my evangelism time into teaching time, making sure they thoroughly understood. And when they did, I had them evaluate, are you really wanting to follow Christ or do you just want to have a good time and live the way you want to live? Well, many of those that had prayed to receive Christ were honest and said, yeah, I'm not there yet. I don't really want to follow God. I said, okay, well, now, now we're all honest. We all know what we're dealing with. You're not a Christian yet. You're not. And you're not saved. And, of course, that made them feel sober, but it didn't necessarily cause them to repent, turn away from their sins. And then some would, and the decision was, was more likely to be a true decision, you see? That's what you should be doing as a father, as a, uh, as a mother also, not just urging them to say a prayer, but teaching them all about their sin, teaching them about the cross, teaching them the love of God, teaching them the righteous standards of God, praying for their little hearts, and then God will move into their life when He does. Ultimately, it's up to the Lord how he reveals himself to them. Well, you may notice here, Jesus has to tell these people here, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. That doesn't mean American law. That means not obeying God's law, a law of love. You didn't live that way, so go away from me. I don't receive you. I have rejected you. Concerning Abraham being a father to his children, it says in Genesis 18, verse 19, This is God talking. I have chosen Abraham so that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. He wanted Abraham's kids to know the way of the Lord and to be obedient. There are many who have a kind of believing in Jesus that never results in a life dedicated to doing God's will. So many churches say, just walk the aisle Just say this little prayer, but in their heart, they're not turning from a life of sin to do the will of God. And that is a dangerous but common lie. You are not accepted by God unless your faith in Jesus Christ results in saying in your life, I want to follow Jesus and obey him. Open your Bible up and say, oh God, teach me. The Father above wants obedience to his word. That's why he saved us. We think it's all about getting out of hell. I'm so glad we're safe from hell. (laughs) But it's about God getting what he wants. What does he want? People living before him that he watches in secret, not just in public, who want to do the will of God from the heart. Jesus made this point clear in Matthew 12. Would you turn a couple of chapters forward? In Matthew 12 to verse 46, Matthew 12, 46, says, while he was speaking to the crowds, behold, his mother and brothers were standing outside seeking to speak to him. And someone said to him, behold, your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak to you. This is verse 48. But Jesus answered the one who was telling him and said, who is my mother? And who are my brothers? Uh-oh, <laughs> what does that mean? He's kind of like, what, this is your own mother and brother. Why would you be saying something like that? For whoever does the will of my father, well, I missed the verse, stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, behold, my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father, notice that again, whoever does the will of my father who's in heaven, he is my brother and sister and mother. You want to know how much God wants it? There it is. There it is. The teachings of Christ are not an option. We have to communicate that to our children. It may be hard to follow the will of God, but God will guide them. God will be a father to them. If I had known all the things I have to go through now as a believer, when I first believed in Christ way back when I was 18, I might have said at that time, that's going to be too hard. I'm kind of glad that God didn't show me the future because it is hard. It's very hard. I'm going through the hardest time of my life, and it's not even close. I remember when it was kind of dawning on me what it meant to be a follower of Jesus on the college campus. I was reading a lot of Bible, and listening to new things that I'd never heard before, and uh, I one day had a backpack over my shoulder, and I was walking up the hill there at Frostburg. All the the, uh, classes are up in... uh, buildings that are up on a hill i was thinking to myself this could be really hard to follow jesus (laughs) you know you get rejected by your friends and on and on i was thinking of all this stuff i remember praying to god please be gentle with me please take it slowly with me (laughs) i got a lot to learn and he was he was so gentle with me for years and years but then then come the steeper climbs then come the harder mountains But at that time, God has revealed himself as father enough that you know him well enough. You know, you've come this far. You can't turn back. Like Peter, who's given an opportunity. Would you like to leave with the other disciples that are abandoning me? John chapter six. And Peter did one of the few things that was pretty smart in his life. He looked around and said, well, where will we go? And if we left, where are we going to go? Only you have the words of eternal life. That's it. There is no other way. And he got, he got that right. You know, Jesus, again, set the example of doing the will of the Father, did he not? Uh, what if God asked you to bear the sins of the entire world and go to the cross? Wouldn't work, first of all, because you and I are not sinless, right? We'd die for nothing up there, really, just ourselves. And even then, we couldn't because we couldn't pay for our own sins. But when he realized that he was going to be arrested that very night, He said, my father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. That didn't mean he was having a good time. That didn't mean doing the will of God at that time was a whole bunch of fun. But he knew, I have to do the will of the father, no matter how hard it is. And yeah, he carried his cross until he crumbled and fell. And then he uttered seven Seven sayings from the cross, and then he breathed his last, and he made payment for us. If he had not done the Father's will, we'd all be doomed. Aren't you glad that he set such an example for us? When he gave the church its commission, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, in Matthew 28, 19 and following, baptizing them in the name of, first name that comes is the Father, right? And the Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all I commanded you again there it is do the will of the father what is the will of the father you young people that are listening go away from the dad's a moment you young people what should you do with your life seek first god's kingdom and god's righteousness that's the will of the father for you in first peter 4 it says Live the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. You had enough time to go out and chase after lusts to know that they lead nowhere. Pursue them, they drunkenness, sexual immorality, living wildly, living loosely. Where does all of that lead? Not the happiness. Haven't you figured that out yet? Haven't you observed people enough? to realize that when you pursue the world, it never leads to satisfaction. That's why they have to do more and more of it. At some point, you have to come where you say, I don't want to live for the world's lusts anymore. I want to live for the will of God, no matter how hard it may be. Lesson number three, teach our children to rely on the Heavenly Father. Oh yes, teach our children to rely on the Heavenly Father. Turn back to Matthew chapter six, if you would. Verses 31 through 33, Jesus is teaching why we should not be anxious. And in the midst of that, he says something very profound about the Father. Verse 31, do not worry then, saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles, that means the unbelievers, eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. He cares about you so much, he already knows what you need. Physically, yes, but more than that, he knows you. He formed you in your mother's womb. He knows what your emotional needs are. He knows when you need correction He knows everything about you. He knows what to give you, when to give it to you. Earthly fathers figure that out sometimes. Hey, dad, 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 can I have such and such? Not yet, son, you haven't learned to do whatever it is they hadn't learned to do. Learn to do that, and then I'll let you have this other thing. That's what God does with us. We don't need to be worried about the future. What's going to happen? Oh, my, what's going to happen? We need security, God knows that. We we need friends, God knows that. At the right time, in the right way, he won't grant you everything that you want. He will grant you what you need. He's a good heavenly father. Look at uh, chapter seven while we're here in the Sermon on the Mount again, a lot from the Sermon on the Mount. Look at verse 11 in chapter seven. Actually back it up a little. Uh, verse 9, Matthew 7, 9. What man is there among you when his son asks for a loaf will give him a stone? Can you imagine that? Hey, Dad, can I have a loaf of bread? I'm hungry. Here's a stone, son. What kind of a dad does that? Jesus knew that doesn't happen. Or if he asked for a fish, he's not going to say, how about a snake instead? And then he just makes the obvious point. If you are evil and yet you've figured out how to give something good to your son, Stop and think about God the Father. Do you you think that he can't figure out what is good to give his children? Well, I want to communicate to all of my children, and I have communicated to my children, that God is their Father, and God knows what they need. God knows what they need before they even ask. And that's wonderful. Before you even ask, he already knows what you need. So what does that mean then for my children? On Father's Day, that means when I'm taken out of the way, they don't lack a father. Right? When your father died, if you're a believer in Jesus, you did not lack a father. Have you figured that out yet? And when you are gone, and you're like, well, who's going to teach my son or my daughter to do this or do that? They have bad habits. I'm worried about them. Well, God's going to teach them. That's who. And I hate to diminish your status here, but he knows what to teach better than you do. You're temporary. He's permanent. You're imperfect. He's perfect. It's just the way it works, guys. Be thankful he even lets you be a father for a while and to share in the joy of being a father. God looks after his kids. Who do you think's been looking after you and your kids all these years? Well, who's going to look after my kids? Who's going to look after you? Who has been looking after you? I worry sometimes, I have to admit, what's going to happen? But I land back on this every single time. God is the Father. It says in Matthew 10, 29 and 31, are not two sparrows sparrows sold for a cent? And yet, Not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So do not fear. You are more valuable than many sparrows. God's got it covered. And if your child has believed in God the Father and the Son and he dies, you will be reunited in a glorious place called the paradise of God. And there will be the only begotten Son of God, waiting for his moment to return to earth. And there will be God the Father on his majestic throne and we'll be able to say, God, all through our years, you provided for us. Those are my father's last words. We got a call on a Saturday morning and I had to rush out so quickly, I'd leave Susan behind. Got in the car, I have to admit, I ran a few red lights that morning. And picked up my mother and brother, and we raced off to suburban hospital in Bethesda, Maryland. And he was he was dying, and um, I got to spend three and a half hours with him the night before. Best one of the best conversations uh, I ever had with him. He was talking about how evil and terrible this world was, and you could tell God was getting his soul to go. And um, but we didn't expect him to go that quickly. But he, um, as he was dying, he was trying to witness to his Jewish doctor. Well, one thing that came out of his mouth that I heard, because I was close there, is he said, God, you have been with us all these years. And I knew what he was saying. He was saying, as a father, I have had to rely on you to care for my family, and that's what we do as fathers, right? We're put in scary situations, situations where we don't know what's right, situations we don't know to turn left or right, but we have God is father, and though he may not talk to us directly out of heaven, he will take his hand, his providential hand, and he will steer us, and he will provide for us, and he will send us helpers where we need it, and he'll continue to do that for your children long after you're gone. God looks after the life of my children because they are more his children than they are my children. Do you understand that, fathers? They are more his than yours and he loves them more than we love him he's going to give him his kingdom along with the lord jesus right the majestic and kingly father will bring them into the kingdom and share all the glories and the riches of the future they're going to get all of that we're going to get to ride on white horses and return with jesus when he comes with that sword that comes from his mouth to slay his enemies in Revelation 19, we'll be riding behind him, and we won't even have to fight because he's going to speak and slaughter his enemies. And then it says in Matthew 25, 34, the king will say to those on his right hand, come you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. In Luke 12, 32, Jesus said, your father has chosen to give you the kingdom. He's going to provide for them all the way to the end. Your children have eternal protection from God Almighty. They'll never be lost. Even again, Jesus was the example to us. As he was dying, he showed us, what do you do? When you're at the very end of your life, you can't provide anything for yourself. You're the most helpless you have ever been. You know that death is about to come. What do you do then? And he showed us what to do by his words. Father, Father, into your hands, I commit my what? My soul. I know I'm about to die. I'm hanging helpless on this cross although I believe he could have come down anytime he wanted. But he laid down his life willingly, and then he committed his soul to God the Father. That's what we do. If you can't provide your children all the money that you wish they could have in this world, provide for them a home, take away all of the debt they might have in life, and you feel bad about that as a father, don't worry about it. Jesus said, In my Father's house are many dwelling places. And if it were not so, I would have told you, for I go there to prepare a place for you. And I'm going to come again and receive you to myself, that where I am there, you may be also. Fathers, teach your children to rely on God the Father with everything. I remember when uh, I was a young dad and the children were young, very young. I made less than $20,000 a year. We didn't even have health insurance in those days. And um, we were heading off to the master's seminary in California. We didn't know anyone there, didn't have any money in the bank. So we drew a picture of a mountain and put it on a white poster board. And we said, we're going to ask God for some support from our family and friends. And as that money comes in so we can go through seminary, we'll color in the mountain from the bottom all the way up. And we would pray as a family and watch how God provided that money to come in. And we got higher and higher and we got so high after we colored the top of the mountain, we had to draw little clouds on top of the mountain and keep coloring it all the way up there. That's how God provided. And our kids learned a lesson. It's not daddy that provides. It's God the father who provides. Whatever you ask in my name, Jesus said, that will I do so that the father may be glorified in the son. The last lesson kind of is wrapped up in all of these, so I'll give it to you very briefly. The fourth and last lesson is teach our children to honor the Heavenly Father publicly. That comes from Matthew 5.16. Matthew 5.16. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Light communicates so beautifully, doesn't it? Let your light shine. Don't hide your Christianity. Don't hide your faith in the good works that come from it, rather take that, show it. And when people credit you, when people are amazed at what they see in you, your your kindnesses, your generosity, don't give credit to yourself. Give credit to the one who makes you and allows you to do that. That's God the Father. Make sure your children know that because if they start to live the Christian life and then they start to have men say great things about them and women say wonderful things about their character, they need to remember none of that's possible without God the Father working in their life. Let your light shine. Let it really shine. But make sure you give all of the credit and all of the honor to God the Father. You know, the the more the world tells our children, live for yourself or live for this or for that, whatever the cause may be, You tell your children, live for the glory of God the Father. So I say, if you learn these lessons yourself and your children learn these lessons, they're set for life. They know who to live for. They know who to listen to when you're gone. They know where to get help when they're in trouble. They know right from wrong and truth from error. They know their destiny, where you will be, They will be also if they believe in Christ. And that's what I bank on today and will be banking on for the rest of my life. That when I lay my head down to rest, when I breathe my last until that great resurrection day, I can rest in peace as a father. I can close my eyes in death and be peaceful knowing there is a powerful, loving, protective hand upon my children and my grandchildren forever. Fathers who do this do not just prepare their children for life in this world, but life in the real world, the one up above, that's going to come and invade this world one day and bring visibly the full kingdom of the Father above. It's in the hands of the Heavenly Father we leave our children, and we must, must believe in Him. Father, please take our words, however feeble they may be, and feed our hearts with faith that we may trust in You, myself included. Fill us with faith and confidence and obedience to Your will. We pray it in Jesus' name, His mighty name, amen.